Hello, and welcome to the Lasting Impact Wellness Podcast, where together we explore ways to help you optimize your health and achieve sustainable well being. No one deserves to live an unhealthy life because they are overtasked, overstimulated, and overwhelmed. I'm your co host, Dr. Laura Hayes, and we'll be joined by Dr. Parker Hayes as we explore new perspectives and strategies rooted in self awareness, deep connections, and science based practices designed to create lasting impact for you and those around you. Please keep in mind this podcast is for the purpose of education, introspection, and community connection and should not be mistaken for medical advice. Be sure to subscribe and share with others. Let's be well together. Hello to everyone. This is Lasting Impact Wellness, the podcast that helps you optimize your health and well-being through science-based practices, practical knowledge, and honest discussions. I'm your host for today, Dr. Parker Hayes. As we've introduced in an earlier episode, one of the six pillars of foundation in well-being is functional fitness and movement. Today, we'd like to explore this and find out much more about what that really means. I'm joined today by Allison Benfito, a renowned personal trainer and functional fitness expert based in New England. Allison has degrees in English literature and education from the University of Massachusetts, and then countless certifications and specialized training in fitness. She has owned her own gym and yoga studio. She has nearly three decades in teaching, coaching, and helping people become better functional versions of themselves, actively engaging the world. We're thrilled to talk with Allison today. Allison, good day to you. Good day, Parker. Note that when Allison says my name, it's devoid of the letter R, which is definitely an overrated letter. <laughs> Allison, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your career in the fitness world? Absolutely. I started in the early 1990s as an aerobics instructor, and then from there, delved into worlds of yoga, spinning, powerlifting, both personally and coaching, athletic training. I work with special populations such as diabetics, people with Parkinson's, pre and postnatal rehab patients from orthopedic surgery, such as knee replacements, hip replacements, and rotator cuff repairs. I've also been featured on our local news station, The Road Show, Shape Magazine, Art of Strength, and various other websites and radio forums. So that's quite a journey. Explain a little bit more about how your training has evolved over the years. As I said, I started as your quintessential aerobics instructor. Started with either the the jazzer size, high-low aerobics. And at the time, in the early 90s, it was basically just to get people moving. Um, focusing a lot more on their aerobic capacity than on any kind of strength training. And certainly aerobic capacity or aerobic training took a front seat. It was like flexibility, mobility, and all of that. So as the years have gone on, I've become more of a functional fitness coach rather than just focusing on sort of the get up and, and move aerobic craze of the 1990s. So you listed some of them just there, at least to my understanding. Tell me again, or if you could clearly delineate, what are some of the main components of fitness from your standpoint? So the four main pillars of fitness are strength training, 
aerobic capacity, flexibility, and mobility. Ideally, your workout should incorporate all four pillars. For example, strength training is necessary for power and stamina, but you should also include aerobic capacity for endurance, speed, and agility. You really do need to have a balance of all four rather than just focusing on one specific area. So strength, aerobic capacity, or I guess I sometimes call it cardiorespiratory fitness. Yes. If you would explain the difference for us between flexibility and mobility, as those confuse me sometimes and may others. Yes. And they do cross over to a certain degree. They're both based on range of motion. However, mobility exercises we often do prior to a workout or even throughout a workout because they help people to be able to move better and prevent injury. Whereas flexibility exercises are often done post-workout. I think of them more as lengthening a lever. They help to increase range of motion and relax your muscles. So oftentimes, as I said, we do them after the workout is finished. You don't want to be holding a static stretch prior to working out. That's when you would want to be doing some mobility, some movement type exercises. So if I hear what you're saying, then mobility probably pertains more specifically to the joints and their range of motion, whereas flexibility may have more to do with the muscles themselves, stretching them, stretching muscle fibers. Correct. Got it. So I hear a lot about functional fitness. We talk Mm -hmm. about it a lot and how it's Mm -hmm. very essential to our overall health and functionality, especially as we age. Start at the beginning for people like me. What can you, how can you explain what functional fitness is? I like to call functional fitness anti-fragile fitness, particularly because it prevents us from being injured as we get older. But the idea of functional fitness is to incorporate exercise as part of our movement for our daily life. So we want to pick exercises that are going to mimic the movements that we do on a daily basis um, and taking into account, you know, individuality as well. So if you are, say, for example, a woman that's walking around on high heels during their workday, you wouldn't want that same woman doing, say, a flat-footed box jump and putting her Achilles under extreme stress because it's already stressed as it is walking around on high heels. If you have, say, a construction worker who is primarily working with a lot of overhead, you know, nailing things overhead, suspending wires overhead, then you'd want to work that construction worker um, through our exercises that are going to help create strength above the head, creation through the shoulders, through the upper back muscles, and through the core. So functional fitness are exercises, again, that support your daily activities. Tell us a little bit about the origins of that. I've heard some of your journey. I can think of my journey in fitness. I've been present in many a high school or college weight room or locker room and heard questions like, bro, how much do you bench? Our versions of fitness in those days seem unidimensional in retrospect compared to the more complex integration of fitness pillars and fitness being seen as complementary and supportive of your everyday activities that Mm -hmm. you're talking about. How did that evolution occur and how did it occur for you as a trainer? Functional training in and of itself originated from physical therapy and occupational therapy rehabilitation. It was used to retrain patients with movement disorders. 
it became more mainstream in fitness and for myself as well towards the late 90s, early 2000s. And I think that a lot of that had to do with we were coming off and going to the gym and just doing, you know, bench presses or doing bicep curls, which are great exercises and they do work. Those primary muscle groups, for example, a bench press would, would target mostly your chest area. However, we weren't doing a lot of exercises that support the muscle groups and the joints that surround the chest. So we were finding that there was an increased risk of injury when we were doing our daily activities and had to use that primary muscle group as the primary mover in that activity. Being able to create a more of a holistic approach to fitness rather than just focusing on that Monday back buys at the gym, Tuesday we do chest and tries, and then just focusing on those specific muscle groups. We needed a more well-rounded approach so that we could um, age better. We, as I said before, anti-fragile fitness. So that as we got older and we were doing our daily activities, we remained strong and balanced. You know, nobody nobody falls down the stairs and is saved by their big biceps. You're, you're saved by your your balance and your coordination, your ankle mobility, your core strength. So there's a lot of components. So speaking of those things, I have been told that there are specific criteria or categories that comprise functional fitness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there, there are six categories that comprise functional fitness. They are the squat, the lunge, the hinge, the push, the pull, and the carry. Those six categories condition us to be able to navigate through our daily life with the decreased risk of injury, help us to do things like carry heavy bags of groceries up the stairs, lift our body weight from the chair, or lift our body weight from the floor, putting an object above the head, taking an object from above the head, bringing it toward our body. Those six categories are really essential to creating a really great foundation and functional fitness. So again, that's squat, lunge. Squat, lunge, hinge, push, pull, and carry. Elaborate a little bit more than how that type of fitness is different from just going to a gym and lifting on the machines or running on a treadmill. You can think of it this way. So when you're at the gym and you're working out on, say, a Nautilus chest press, you're going to get a great strength training workout. But chances are you don't find yourself outside of the gym in a situation where you're pushing weights along a guided track. So you're at a gym, you're on the Nautilus machine, you're doing a bench press, you're pushing weights along a guided track. However, during your daily activity, you're not going to find yourself in that in that situation. You will find yourself lifting an object from the floor or rotating your torso to reach for something. So when you are creating a functional fitness program, you want to take into account that you're creating strength in the primary muscle group, but you're also strengthening the joints and the smaller muscle groups that surround that. You could think, as you were saying, running on a treadmill. What's the difference between running on a treadmill at the gym versus going on a hike outside. So you're running on a treadmill at the gym and you're going on a hike. Both of those things are going to get your heart rate up and work your aerobic capacity. But when you're on the treadmill, it's that flat surface. It's redundant. You're just going over and over one foot in front of the other. Whereas when you're outside on a hike, you're going to challenge your stability and your balance while you're moving over uneven terrain. It's just a different. It's a more functional that way. That makes complete sense to me. In other words, there's benefit to going to the gym and doing exercises that are along a guided track, as you say, but your life is anything but. 
and exactly. stressors that we're going to put our joints and muscles through on a daily basis certainly do not exist on the narrow safety, if you will, of a guided track. They are subject to all kinds of other forces around and learning to do the movements safely within a more varied environment is the idea here. Is that I, fair? Exactly. I mean, I live in New England. We do a lot of snow shoveling over here. So <laughs> nobody wants to get an injured back shoveling snow. If you're going to the gym and you're trying to build back strength and you're doing, say, a lap pull-down machine or a seated back row, both of those are going to build phenomenal back strength. They really are. However, a more functional fitness approach might be something like a burpee or throwing a stability ball against the wall or your traditional deadlift with free weights because that's going to create a little bit more of a foundation of strength that you'll need to do something like shoveling snow rather than sitting on a bench and just rowing along because we're creating a situation where there's instability and learning how to be stable in that environment with functional fitness rather than creating stability within a stable environment, which is your traditional strength training that you would get at more of a, you know, like a Nautilus circuit or something like that at a gym. I can tell you that if I go to work as an emergency physician on a morning shift, the day it has snowed or there's been an ice storm, that I'm automatically ready for at least the injury of potential fall on ice, uh, injury while scraping, et cetera, and definitely the possibility of someone with new onset chest pain or heart attack while shoveling snow. It's a real risk. Absolutely. So. It's fair, I would think, to say here that any activity that one does counts. Uh, Hiking, housework, walking the stairs up to your apartment or at your office, any of these are part of the movement total in a patient's life or a person's life. Mm -hmm. But, okay, so back to dedicated functional fitness exercise. Can you give me an example of an exercise that you might use that would be considered a functional fitness exercise and why? One of my favorite functional fitness exercises is a farmer's carry. And that's where you're carrying weights and they can be dumbbells, they can be kettlebells, sandbags, and you're equally distributing those weights along both sides of the body. You're holding them in your hands, suspended by the side of your body and walking a specific amount of distance, not often long distance, maybe about 500 feet. And you think about that. So you're carrying the weight, you're equally distributing your weight, you're creating core strength, you're creating balance in your body. You're also putting your smaller joints like your ankles and your knees under stress, but in a good way. So that when you're doing things during your daily life, say carrying groceries or walking the dog, where you're primarily loading a lot of weight on one side of your body, It helps you to be more cognizant of maybe equally distributing your weight. For example, I have a client who loves to walk her dog and she was having chronic hip pain on one side of her body versus the other. Well, come to find out that her dog is quite heavy, large dog. She was walking the dog always on her right side, never transferring the leash to her left side. So she was constantly being pulled over to the right. So we did a lot of functional training exercises, specifically the farmer's carry to help her to realize when the load was becoming too heavy on her right side, holding the dog. And there was that aha moment in her brain and in her body where she said, oh, I have to put the leash on the left side of my body now so that I can equally distribute my body weight so that I'm not hurt or injured after walking the dog. So 
What are some other exercises besides farmers carry? That one makes complete sense to me. How often are we called upon to pick something up and carry it for a distance? Mm -hmm. What are some other examples? Another great example is a squat. How often are we sitting in a position at a desk where we're rounded over in our upper body, kind of concaved in the chest, putting the posterior chain under a lot of hyperextension? Something like a squat would help us to create more strength in the core muscles and in the posterior chain that when we're lifting and lowering from our chair, that we're doing that in such a way that we're not going to injure ourselves or cause injury from being in one specific position for a long time. So a squat is one of the exercises that we practice often in functional fitness. When it comes to functional movement, I'm always struck by how difficult it could be to just do what my kids are doing, mm -hmm. watching them mm -hmm. crawl, jump, leap, reach for things in unusual positions, realizing that the a majority of items for them are at a different reach level than they are for adults. They, they get a workout just kind of being alive. And I think sometimes we dumb it down for adults to put ourselves into a more narrow and narrow and protected range of motion, and then create injurious, limited positions in which we stay for long periods of time. Watching mm -hmm. kids seems like it teaches me a lot in terms of moving better. Talk to me about the term compound movement, if you would. That's great to talk about because that's sort of a newer terminology that we use in the fitness world. For so many years, we would go to the gym and we would work, say, biceps, and we would do various types of bicep curls, reverse curls, supinated curls, easy bar curls. And we did create strength in the biceps, and that's fantastic. But oftentimes during our daily life, we're not just using our biceps. When you're carrying a bag of groceries with your arm bent at a 90-degree angle, yes, your biceps are under a lot of stress. However, so are your shoulders. So your opposing muscle group, your triceps, your forearms, and then the joints in your wrists and elbows. Compound exercises are where that one muscle group is being utilized within a range of, or in conjunction with other muscle groups. You want to think of compound exercises as a way to create as much strength with multiple muscle groups rather than just isolating one. And so they mimic more of the way your body actually moves than just doing one particular exercise for it. I love the story of the aha moment of the dog walking mom or woman. Can you give me any other examples, some personal takes on functional fitness who have benefited from your approach and how did it change their outcome for them? Well, one of the things that I like, I work with, you know, multiple age groups and fitness levels, and I have a client who is an avid golfer. He's a fantastic golfer, but he has a lot of issues with hip mobility, which has prohibited him from having a really great golf game. So we do a lot of range of motion exercises through his torso. So trunk rotation exercises. We do a lot of exercises through his rotator cuffs. He's constantly working on mobility and range of motion through his shoulders. And at first it's very difficult because their range of motion is often limited. It takes time. You have to work at it. But eventually, his golf game started to come along and he was hitting the ball further. He was also hitting the ball with a little bit better hand-eye coordination as well because we did a lot of hand-eye coordination exercises. 
I think it's really important when you're creating a functional fitness program for someone to think of the individuality of who you're training. So for example, I'm going to create a functional fitness program for someone who loves to golf in a very different way than I'm going to create a functional fitness program for somebody who is walking the dog every day. There are going to be different programs because the person's life is, their daily activities are different. You want to make sure that you're harvesting up that when you're creating a program. Those are terrific examples. I certainly claim no expertise in occupational therapy and have no formal training in it, but I do obtain an occupational therapy consult for my patients on a regular basis, physical therapy or occupational therapy. And I'm struck by the notion that even if the origins of occupational therapy were directed at a person's job, their occupation, nowadays and in the context of functional fitness, it seems to apply to with what they occupy themselves. Uh, neither the dog walking woman nor the guy with a great golf game may be using it as their primary job, but it is their occupation in the sense that it occupies their days and training for it makes complete sense. So talk to us a little bit about how often a person would train per, per week uh, in a functional fitness way. And if there are specific criteria when training such as reps or sets, length of time, et cetera. Because functional fitness or functional workouts mimic your everyday activities, they can be done more frequently without injury. Ideally, I look to have somebody perform functional training at least three times a week for 45 minutes per session. And that can be broken up too. I think that there is a misconception of the old school, I'm going to go to the gym for an hour straight and that's the only way I'm going to get a great workout. We definitely evolved from that insofar as it's just perfectly fine to do four 15-minute intervals during the day if you don't have the time to do one full hour. You could break that 45-minute session of functional fitness, a functional training into maybe three 15-minute sections during the day if that works for your lifestyle. And rep ranges, you'd want to set up them a little bit on the higher side, anywhere from 10 to 15 repetitions, and ideally three to four sets of each exercise. We're not focusing on that strong, heavy power lifting where we're looking for four to five repetitions. We want to, again, mimic daily activity. So you want to be able to push that person into the higher rep range. In a functional fitness workout, are you trying to hit all those specific movement patterns that you listed? Not necessarily all of them, as many as you can. That would be ideal, but you can't always get to all of them in one session. For example, if maybe the first session we were focusing more on hinge movements, maybe the second section we would focus more on push and pull movements. But the idea is within that week span to get in as many of those movement patterns that you could. So the squat, the lunge, the hinge, the push, the pull, and the carry should at least be touched upon once during that, that week. If you can touch upon all of them multiple times, that's fantastic, but that doesn't always happen based on how much time we have. I have to tell you that rather than daunted, I feel motivated listening to you talk about all this. I want to pivot just a little. We know that physical training is, of course, very important, but so is the fuel that we provide our body before, 
during and after exercise and functional life, mm -hmm. we should know how important nutrition is. Briefly, what's your take on nutrition when it comes to improving a person's functional fitness level? I think, again, it's also important to think about the individual that you're working with. If they have a job that's very physically demanding, like a construction worker, you want to make sure that they have adequate fuel during the day because obviously you, you don't have good nutrition in your body. You're not going to have the right amount of energy levels. You may fatigue, you may get foggy brain, there's more chance of injury. So thinking of nutrition more holistically, just like you think of fitness more holistically, it's helpful. Having a large salad with cheese and maybe some fish on top or chicken on top is going to give you a more well-rounded and more sustainable energy source than having something like a peanut butter sandwich on white bread, which I'm not going to say is not delicious because it is. Well, I've clearly subsisted on just that diet alone at different stages of <laughs> my life, especially in school. Oh, me too. <laughs> I would say supplements are there to supplement your diet. They're not the substitute for something. So if you're not getting enough greens in, you can supplement with some, maybe some powdered green formulas, but you shouldn't stop eating your vegetables and just have powdered green. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's an excellent point. All food for thought. Yes. <laughs> well, if movement is life, then thank you so much for showing us more about how our movement makes us more able to engage that life in an optimal way. It's really been a pleasure talking with you today, Allison, and hearing your expertise. Tell us how we can find you if we need to reach out or learn more. The best way to find me is through Instagram. It's under Coach Alley Training. It's all one word, C-O-A-C-H-A-L-I and the word training. It's a fitness platform, so I can respond to any kind of direct messages. You'll see posts from workouts that I post short videos on maybe some exercises that you are not sure of how to perform or where they can be integrated into your own workout or into your own daily life. That's terrific. Well, that's it for today's episode. And as always, we thank you for listening and thank you for your time and energy. Allison, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Please visit us on the web at lastingimpactwellness.com or drop us a line at info at lastingimpactwellness.com with your constructive feedback. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and share it with others. I'm Dr. Parker Hayes. We'll talk with you soon. Let's be well together.